Well, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you this morning, and I couldn't help but think as we were singing that last uh, song set that uh, what a what a better summer or what better summary could there be to our Know Your Why series than the challenge and the freedom of the reality that we come to realize that that we don't belong to ourselves, that our life is not our own. To, to, to God we belong. And yet because we belong to God, the freedom that comes, that everything that we are and everything that we do can be used by him when we give ourselves away in Jesus' name for his glory and for his kingdom. That's, that's the call of Christ to discover our greatest why in him. And we're going to wrap up that series this morning. But before we do, I just want to add my invitation to you. Uh, if you are newer to the church, uh, we are excited to be able to get to know you. It's been a weird year and a half, right, with the pandemic. And the reality is there's a lot of new people who have come to our church that have maybe never even been on campus yet, right? You're joining us from worship at home, and, uh, and we want to be able to connect with you. And so we're excited to begin putting together coffees with the pastor where you can not meet not only me and other staff members and leaders, but our next step lunch. And on November 21st, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we're going to have a worship service where we receive new covenant partners in worship. And so we're excited to see some of our connectional ministries coming back online. And so we're excited for you to be a part of that. If you can't be here with us on campus to participate in those things, please let us know because we will come to you. We'll figure out how to make it work because we want to connect with you. We want to build Christ church and we want to see all those who God is bringing together in unity find a place of belonging here. So in that spirit, I invite you to pray with me and let's turn our hearts towards God's word and God's spirit this morning. God, as we wrap up this series that we're calling Know Your Why, we ask that you would bring it home for each of us in a special way this morning. Would you teach us through your word and your spirit the way that your call in our life it's not a demand that, that causes us to have to sacrifice our, our comfort and our pleasure uh, for a dour and sour and religious-sounding life, but really is the discovery of our greatest purpose and meaning to make a difference in the lives of those around us, to share the light and the love of Christ to a lost and a hurting world. And as we see new people come to faith in Jesus, to experience the joy of seeing the kingdom of God advancing in your world. God, I pray that you give us a heart and a vision for that ministry today, and that as a, as a faith community in the weeks and the months ahead, you give us the wisdom and the courage to know how to lean into one another in new ways so that we can not only learn from each other and practice living out our callings in Christ, but you ultimately give us our deepest why for how, why you have given us this faith community in this time and in this place. And we will thank you and we'll praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if you're with us last week, you know that uh, I extended last week's sermon into two parts because there was too much to get through in one Sunday, and I didn't want to miss the ending part because I thought it was really important. So we're going to wrap up our series, Know Your Why, today. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we've been talking about how why is not only a question of passion and desire, but it's ultimately a question of purpose, right? Why do you do what you do? Why do you make the choices that you make? Why are you here today? <laughs> Why are your priorities your priorities? 
Often, what we choose to do with our time and our talents and our treasures are driven by the deeper question that motivates our choices. It's our ultimate why. And last week, as we were starting to wrap up the series, we talked about how the ultimate end game of our why in Jesus, as we discover our identity in Christ that leads to our sense of our calling in Christ, is that we are to join Jesus in engaging the world around us. Looking at how our calling in Jesus becomes our ultimate why leads us to discover how God would have us engage the world around us in Jesus' name using the gifts that he's given us as gifts that we can then give away in Jesus' name as we were just singing about. We talked about how in the incarnation of God in Jesus, where God became human, where he became one of us, we see that the call to follow this Jesus is also a call to join him in his mission of love to the world that he created. And what we learn from Jesus' example is that in order to love the world around us, we need to be willing to engage the world around us. See, God knew that in order to show his love for the world, he would have to engage the world directly and personally. You could say that Jesus is God with a face. (laughs) And in this calling, we are also commanded to go into the world that Jesus gave his life to save, to be sent in his name. And we are commanded to speak, to tell our story, to be his witnesses of the grace and the love that God has given us through the sacrifice of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. To tell our story that through him has become God's story. And in this, we were also careful to say that our job is not to go and save the world. That's Jesus' job. Jesus' job is to save the world. Our calling is not to convince people or to convert people or to save souls. That's the the Holy Spirit's job, the, the, the scriptures tell us. Our calling in Jesus is simply to engage the world in love with the same grace and the same love that we've received in Jesus and to tell them about the good news that has transformed our life, that has saved us from our sins, and that has allowed us to live within that mercy and grace no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, and with all of the sins and the mistakes we continue to make day after day. Thus, loving the world around us, we said, includes telling people of the love of God for them in Jesus. And so today, as we kind of wrap up with part two, I want to explore the question about what is this calling then to engage with the world with the love of Jesus have to do with my identity, with your identity, and who God has created us to be? How do we begin to connect who we are created to be with who God is calling us to be and understand that the two are woven together by God into one whole package. At this point, I would suggest that we can begin to understand that our calling to engage the world around us in Jesus' name isn't some abstract concept of Christianity. We can actually begin to see very practically how we can live out our faith in Jesus in very simple and real ways in the world that we live in every day in our family lives, in our social lives, with our leisure time, and in our places of work. 
You see, part of the challenge, I think, for us is that too often we struggle to connect our weekday lives with our Sunday morning lives in a way that allows us to understand that a Christian calling is a part of my relationship with God as well, part of my own why for living. In fact, as we discussed last week, we can even be tempted to think that that our job is really to separate from the world in order to be a good Christian person. That was the challenge that Ken Costa faced in his own journey in the world as an international investment banker. He wrote the book titled by the same as our series called Know Your Why, and in that book he says, there have been many occasions when I have felt the desire to leave the harsh competitiveness of the business world. It's tough. One feels the heat daily, and it seems so at odds with anything that could remotely be thought of as Christian. After all, this is a place that has decided to try and run its economies, societies, and structures without reference to God who created and sustains it. Many times I found myself asking, why am I doing this? At other times I felt the deep frustration and purposelessness. But in these times, I have formed a habit of turning to God for His perspective on the frustration I'm facing. And he goes on to say, in one of those times... The message I heard from the Lord was this, I am strengthening you in the world for the world. In an instant, I could see a purpose to what I had been going through. God had called me to that place and to those people and would provide the strength I needed for what he had called me to do. And so this morning, as we wrap up this series, I want to take Ken Costa's lead and walk us through Three, what I think are misconceptions about our Christian calling that can hopefully open the door for each of us to begin to step into the calling of God in our lives and to discover our deepest why for why God created us the way he did. The first misconception is that my life or my work isn't spiritual enough to be considered a calling from God. Have you ever felt that? My life or my work, it's not spiritual enough. It doesn't have any religious connotations. How can, how can my life be a calling from God? Well, again, Costa says, there's often a false perception among Christians that our callings should have a distinctly religious flavor. <laughs> being, called a full-time, being called to full-time pastoral ministry or evangelism or to missionary work or with a charity, that fits with what people would expect a calling to be. But when I say I felt called to investment banking, people often raise an eyebrow or two. See, we often think of God as being in one dimension, kind of a spiritual dimension, right? And our weekday lives, our work lives, our family lives between Sundays are are in another dimension. They're in the the real dimension. (laughs) But then in order to have a truly spiritual calling from God, we think that we have to, what we do with our time needs to be somehow of a more spiritual or religious nature. But the Bible tells us that just the opposite is true. That according to Scripture, all of life relates to the God who created this world and can become a sacred part of our why, a part of our calling in Jesus, whether we're making a a business presentation or changing dirty diapers 
or studying with friends at school or talking with somebody about Jesus. It all depends, the Bible tells us, on what's going on in our heart, not on what's happening in the world. After all, the reality is that you can engage in what looks like very sacred activity, right? You can pray in public, you can study the Bible, uh, you can work in a church (laughs) and still have very self-centered and an unforgiving spirit and be motivated not by God's call, but by the world around us. Remember the Pharisees in the New Testament? Jesus had a lot to say about those religious leaders. On the other hand, we can also say that you can have a job in a very secular atmosphere, right? Where the conversation is littered with profanity. Have you guys been to middle school lately? Where the work that's done is slipshod, where people cut corners, where the politics are wearisome and wearing, and yet like Daniel or Joseph in the Old Testament, you can bring honor and glory to God in how you conduct yourself in the midst of such an environment where God may have called you to be salt and light in the world. Colossians 3.17 tells us, whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then it goes on in verse 23 and says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And we can even go back to the wisdom of Proverbs in the Old Testament. We're told to commit to the Lord, whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You see, the reality is, I'd like to suggest for us this morning, is that God does not want you and I to do holy things. God wants us to be holy people. And we've talked about that many times here at Faith Covenant Church. What does it mean to be holy? Holy in the Bible means to be set apart. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that that, that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with our own shortcomings and sin in our lives. It means that God has chosen us in Christ and he set us apart so that our lives can be used for his purposes and his glory. That's what it means to be holy. When anything we do is set apart for God's use, it becomes available for God to flow in and through our lives as a gift to Him, and that's what makes it sacred, because it's God's use, it's God's presence, it's not how good we are, it's how good God is. And that's why we said at the very beginning of the series, it's not the sacredness of your work that makes it holy, it's the holiness of your work that makes it sacred. Is your work, no matter what it is, no matter how you spend your time, whether you're in business or you're a homemaker, you're a student, is the work that you're giving yourself set apart to be used by God? That's a matter of the heart. It's not only pastors and religious leaders that have a calling from God. In Jesus, our whole lives become open to the plans and purposes of God. And each person in Christ then discovers their greatest meaning and purpose when we begin to fulfill God's calling in our life because that's why he created us the way he created us to begin with. Everything that we do from work to school to relationships to marriage 
to parenting, to hobbies, to what we eat and what we drink can now be done for the glory of God. Men and women, this is a radical new understanding of what life is really all about. It's not some religious duty that we have to do in order to earn our way to heaven. It's a freedom from all of the expectations of the world that tells us we're not good enough and we don't have what it takes and we're not lovable and we're not valuable. It's, it's the total opposite. God says every little thing that you do can be used for my glory. All of life then in this view becomes worship. Worship isn't something that we only do for an hour on Sunday morning. It's what we do every day, every moment. And every moment of life becomes open to the presence and the power of God working through all that we say and all that we do and all the interactions we have. And it's not something that we have to do only. It's something that God wants to do in and through us. When you dedicate something to God and allow God to use it for his glory, it becomes sacred. And that's how we are set apart and become holy. Misconception number two. I can't have a calling from God because I'm not an upfront person. Anybody ever felt that one? I'm not an upfront person. I don't, I don't speak in public. I, I don't teach classes. I don't write books. God can't really use me in any significant ways. I'm not that kind of a person. Well, the reality is that we don't live our truest callings on stage for people to see. In our culture of fame and popularity and, and worshiping at the cult of personality, it can be easy to mistake charisma for calling. More often than not, God doesn't call us into the bright lights of public ministry and public service. Rather, he calls us to the daily toil of life and family and work. And he invites us to see his presence and his power in the humdrum everyday routines of life. It's in these places that the kingdom of God is most profoundly manifest in the world. This actually was Jesus' perspective even about his own popularity, right? They wanted to make him king. They wanted him to take over the government. They wanted to make him a rock star. They wanted to have the paparazzi come and roll out the red carpet or the palm branches and, and bring him into Jerusalem and put him on the throne. And Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, it's in this way that fulfilling our callings in Christ, finding our ultimate why, may not always be discovered in the high points or the euphoric moments or the mountaintop experiences of life or being in the, in the public eye, but in the faithful obedience in the midst of the day-to-day -day grind, which we're going to talk more about in our next series in Ecclesiastes that starts next week where God invites us to see and to experience his presence and his power in what the world thinks is worthless and mundane. But God says, no, I can use it if you let me. In fact, James 3.1 tells us, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
You see, the reality is that we live in a world filled with people who demand that we please them in exchange for their approval and their acceptance and their attaboys and attagirls and we, we love you if you keep giving us what we want. The challenge of living our lives on stage before other people, whether it's a literal stage or a figurative stage, seeking the approval of the people in our lives rather than the approval of God is that we can easily fall into the trap of seeking approval from the places that can't fully give us the meaning and the purpose that we desire. Because only God can fulfill that for us. When the Bible clearly teaches that it's often the things that we do that go unseen, the unacknowledged things that we do in Jesus' name that no one knows about, but that God sees and that God honors as worthy and as a sacrifice to him. That's why Ephesians 6, 6 says, work hard, but not just to please your masters when they're watching. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Men and women, it's all about a heart issue in our relationship with Jesus. To the truth of God's love and God's calling in Christ is what sets us free from the trap of needing the approval of other people around us. It opens the door to find our full acceptance and approval of God in God alone so, so that we discover that we're living our lives for an audience of one. So you don't have to be an upfront person or a public ministry person to have a calling from God. It's not about being public with our callings. It's about being personal and intentional in our relationship with Jesus and the people that God would call us to serve. Misconception number three. I can't have a calling from God because I'm not really an expert in anything. Is that you? You ever felt that way? I'm not an expert. I can do a lot of things, but, I, but I'm not an expert in anything. I don't really have a calling because I don't do anything like exceptionally well. I'd like to suggest for us that one of the risks in that kind of thinking is that when we begin to believe that we have to meet certain standards of success or expertise or knowledge or proficiency, to feel good about ourselves, to have something to offer the world around us, and ultimately to be accepted by those around us, right? We run the risk of falling into the performance trap. We can mistakenly attach our sense of value and worth as human beings to our ability to produce and to be successful, to have expertise, to be looked up to in the eyes of others as having something to offer the world around us. Deep down, we start to believe that in order to have a calling in life, in order to have an ultimate why that matters, we need to have achieved some level of expertise or success in the world's eyes so that they they will value us and that we'll truly begin to value ourselves. Peter Scazzaro, author and pastor in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says there's something evil and demonic that drives us as a society in this way. Yet in this constant pursuit of success and perfection, we find that our lives are falling apart around us. We're split into a million tiny pieces on the inside, even while we try to maintain our calm, cool exterior. 
We can usually do a pretty good job of keeping up appearances, he says, until something happens. But you see, God's truth in Jesus is what sets us free from this performance trap of the world around us and opens the door to find our true value and our true worth, not because of what we produce or what because of what we do, but because of who we are and that we have been saved by God and we've been created by Him and we're to be used by Him for His glory and not for the glory of ourselves or the people around us. That's why the Bible says very simply, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's really that simple. And yet it's really that hard. <laughs> Again, Koss in his book says, it's not our level of success or expertise that we bring to the world. Rather, as we pursue our callings, what matters is our willingness to make Jesus' name known in the world. That we live in the light of of the great story of God's love and the great hope of the Christian faith. And when we do, your story and my story is all that's necessary that we share with others as God's gift and God's call in our life. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, in the Lord, whatever you do is never worthless. It's never in vain. It's never meaningless, which we're going to talk about in our next series in Ecclesiastes again. Because when you set it apart for God's glory and his use, he can take it and turn it into something meaningful. You guys remember the story of the five loaves and the two fish. The little boy who had a sack lunch. And all of the, the, the adult expert disciples of Jesus were like, well, we don't know how to feed these people. <laughs> right? And the little boy comes and says, well, I got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, that's all I need. Because when he set it apart for God's use in the hands of Jesus, he multiplied it and broke it, and it became food for the hungry and fed thousands. It wasn't because of how good the boy was. It was because of how good Jesus is. And when we put our lives in the hands of the Messiah, even though it may feel like he's breaking us like broken bread, like Jesus was on the cross, he can multiply those pains and sufferings and he can use them for his glory and our lives find greater value and purpose than we ever could have imagined. Through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're set free to discover every moment of life as a moment of worship, as a moment to be used by God, as a part of our calling to share the good news of Jesus in word and in deed. And when we discover our deepest why and our calling from Jesus, we find that God uses everything that he has created us to be in fulfillment of that calling. So no matter what job we do, where we invest our time, since our calling and purpose come from Jesus and not from ourselves and not from the world around us, not from the job that we do or the career that we pursue, not from what other people see or what approval they give us, not from our own level of expertise or success, 
But God can use whatever work we do to help us live out and find our ultimate why in Jesus. Because we receive life from him, we become givers of life to others. And this is all about what we want to pursue in the days and in the weeks ahead here at Faith Covenant Church. For us, this is what it begins to look like when we say that we want to pursue a real life together. We are real people serving a real God who's given us a real mission to fulfill. We are all called on mission together. And the ways that we can do that is we can help one another begin to connect with God and with each other, and we can begin to grow in our relationship with each other as we discover our relationship with Jesus, and ultimately we can discover how God is calling us to go out and to serve together in Jesus' name, to engage the world around us with Jesus' love. See, connecting, growing, and serving here at Faith Covenant Church, which we're starting to try and understand is what we're calling our discipleship pathway, is less about helping people become good church people. And it's more about helping people discover how to live out their calling every day and in every way as servants of Jesus in the world. To help people discover and explore their greatest why for living. Men and women, if we can do that as a faith community, then we will be preparing people to go out from this place into lives of meaning and purpose and value for the kingdom of God because we can practice it together. We can learn how to do it and we can encourage one another on the journey. I've always said this, the Christian life is never meant to be lived alone. Christianity is a team sport where everyone plays. As we move forward in life and ministry in the year ahead, I want to invite us to continue to explore how we can more and more become united together in our calling and our mission and our purpose, not just as a church, but as individuals who make up the church. Isn't that what the Bible says? Is that together we are the body of Christ. I want to close this morning and transition into our time of communion with Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 17. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Men and women, isn't that a beautiful image of what the church can be and what Jesus invites us to experience together?